Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back inside the screening room. A bunch of new movies to talk about this weekend, both in theaters and on home video, and we'll get to it. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com, checking out everything that's new this week. And we'll start with a new one from director George Clooney, A Home Invasion Rattling a Quiet Family Town. This is Suburbicon. Welcome to Suburbicon, a town of great wonder and excitement. Hey there. Built with the promise of prosperity for all. Son, there's something I have to tell you. Those men killed your mom. Yes. You know a character named Rizzoli? He's a loan shark. If you were into the mob for money, that might explain what happened to your wife. Hi, pal. Any progress on the investigation? A mobster got killed a couple of days ago. I'm sorry for his loss. Of life? Yeah, I guess he probably is, too. George Clooney teaming up on this with his frequent writing partner, Grant Heslov, and they resurrect a dec- decades-old, I think late 80s script begun by the masterful Coen brothers. Can't no, go wrong there. No slouches in the writing department. And they, they kind of combine two styles here. Uh, it's it's based around, at least the beginning of the movie, the, the meat of the idea is is based around the first, the story of the first black family to live in a... Pennsylvania suburb in the late 1950s. And so that's sort of half of the movie, and the other half is what's happening right next door to that new black family in the village of Suburbicon. And that is the the house with Matt Damon, his wife, and his sister-in-law, both played by Julianne Moore, <laughs> and then the uh, his young son. And while there's a growing crowd of angry white neighbors surrounding the new black family's home, just incredible, increasing, violent ridiculousness start happening to Matt Damon's home. And it starts with a home invasion, and then what comes after is a, without spoiling too much, a an insurance claim. And then with that insurance claim brings a, a fraud investigator played just gloriously by Oscar Isaac. Who is always amazing. He is always amazing. It's, it's really little more than a glorified cameo. He's not in it very much, but he makes a fantastic impression as he almost always does, and and that leads to a lot of different things going on uh, as they deal with the ramifications of this home invasion and uh, all that went into it. And so, so what it becomes is a with the two families' houses really loosely connected by a very guarded friendship between the two young boys in each home. Mm-hmm. And they reach over the fence. There's, you know, there are some very obvious messages here, some very obvious metaphors. But that's really the only thing connecting the two houses. But the treatment of the two houses is entirely different. As one, as I said, the black family has to deal with increasingly violent threats to just their very existence. Mm -hmm. While the same neighbors that are secure in their white privileged, you know, late 1950s suburban world totally ignore the violence and incredible situations happening right next door to a white family. So a lot of the messaging is very obvious. Mm -hmm. As George Clooney is wont to do as a filmmaker, his heart is on his sleeve here. Yep, That worked to great, great effect in Good Night and Good Luck. He was nominated for not only Best Director, but also a a writing um, 
nomination that year as well, which I thought, for me, that was the best movie of that year. I remember. I, I remember loved you did it. It was that. such, such a great movie. Now, he hasn't lived up to those heights as a director since then. No. You know, he's done the... He's a, he's a little hit or miss. Monuments Man. He's done uh, Ides of March and some other things. But yeah, his heart is always on his sleeve. And this movie certainly doesn't rise to the level of good night and good luck at all. But I think it does work because, for me, it keeps its eye on the long game right, of, right, of right. its message. I mean, when you're dealing with the, the, the Matt Damon side of things and that whole uh, part of the, the story... It's very, very exaggerated, dark, comedic satire. Mm -hmm. And when you're pairing that up with some very real and very relevant social strife for this African-American family, that you, you're towing a line there that yeah. could really get you into some condescending territory. Right, right, like, right. how are you treating this? And it tows it. It does tow it. But I think in the end, what, what uh, brought it through for me was the fact that it really kept its its eye on the long game that even though there were so many very obvious, obvious messages here, the one that was bubbling under was the fact that you hear today so much of, you know, not only making America great again, but take our country back. Well, where do you want to take it back to? Right, right, right. And so many of those people would point to an era like this. Yeah. And you know what? That era wasn't good for a lot of a people. A lot of people. Might have been great for white men, and white families with money and that lived in these types of uh, suburban communities that were touting their diversity. And that's one of the things <laughs> in the early going of the movie. They have kind of, sort of like a commercial for come and live in Suburbicon. And we're a diverse group. Yeah, you're really diverse. <laughs> you know, and so so that sort of comedy and satire is is very outward. But for me, there was enough of a message bubbling under to, to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. I, I know it's it's getting some some barbs for the approach that it's taking to these serious issues. And I do understand that. I do. I can see where some people would be put off by, by the approach it takes to dealing with very serious issues. But for me, the movie worked in the end. And the performances, as, as you might think, with a cast like this are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Julianne Matt Damon, Moore, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac. Everybody in the entire ensemble. And it's, it's, it's one that might hit with some people more than others. Sure. You know, I can see that some people might be a little put off and, and think that the approach that Clooney is taking doesn't work. I think it does for the most part, so I would recommend Suburbicon this week. And next up, it's the latest in the Saw franchise. Bodies are turning up around the city, each having met a uniquely gruesome demise. As the investigation proceeds, evidence points to one subject. Can it be John Kramer, the man known as Jigsaw, who's been dead for 10 years? This one is Jigsaw. Now the game's simple. Best ones are. You want mercy? Play by the rules. Any identification on the victim? Puzzle piece. But Jigsaw has been dead for 10 years. It's not him. Can't be. This was on the body. The truth will set you free. So for a while there, every Halloween there was a new Saw. Yes, film. you know, I mean, they Five did it for six yeah, years in yeah, a row. I every think every Halloween, every Halloween, and then attendance began to wane, <laughs> and uh, they took a break mercifully. I think it's been seven years yeah. since the last one, and, and this, I believe, is the seventh total film, the sixth sequel. 
I think. That's that's what I was thinking. That's right, yeah. And it is not good. It's not good. It's not good. And I was really a little bit hopeful, you know, that we've, we've had a, a good time away. And, you know, they maybe brought up some fresh minds and they were going to reboot it in an right. interesting way. And it is it is so profoundly lackluster, this lazy, movie. It's lazy. It's, it's um, boring. It's rebooted by the directors of the Spirit Brothers, Twin Brothers. And they did Daybreakers. Daybreakers. A decent vampire yeah, film. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Very stylized. And also Predestination a few years ago. So those are the main credits uh, for the Spirit Brothers. First of all, the thing for me was horror movie, Halloween movie. Okay, where are the scares? There aren't any. There are no, no scares. There's no suspense. There's no scares. What there are are real extreme close-ups of mutilated body parts. After to, the fact. After the fact to stand in for scares. Not not scary. No. And the one, the one thing is... As you start seeing it, the cops trying to solve this case and figure out whether it can it be Jigsaw or is it just a copycat, which, of course, the main investigator thinks it is. And then, for some reason, his main suspicions fall on this medical, these two medical examiners. You're- it's funny you say that for some reason, because the truth is... They're walking. The two cops are walking away from the examination room the one day, and then and the one says to the other, "Like, what do you think about?" And I thought, "Why are you even asking that? That doesn't make any sense." Then you wait. Wait a minute. There's suspects. There is not one reason whatsoever on earth that anybody would think these two are suspects, except that there's really not a very big cast, and so I guess that's really the only... Pl- well, there's only two other people in and, this movie. It and, must be one of those And two. somehow they found out that the one, the female examiner, has been on the dark web. Yeah. On the, where do you sign in for that, by the way? <laughs> uh, on these Jigsaw fan sites. So anyway, so while they're being kind of investigated, off on a remote farmhouse somewhere... There are five more guinea pigs being stuck in these deadly puzzle games trying to get out. So the movie goes back and forth between that and, you know, leads you to believe maybe it is really Jigsaw back from the dead. What's going on here? And in the end, I have to give the writers a little bit of a little bit of credit because they're obviously going back and trying to concoct a twist ending like the original movie had. And they do come up with one that surprised me. It did. I'll give him a little bit of credit for a decent twist ending, but sure. But it also just made me think. Okay, you had a glimmer of hope here. Right. You had some sort of a fresh idea, and that just calls more attention to the fact that everything else is just pitiful, lazy, lazy. Any anything, any amount of of cleverness that the franchise had before. Uh, this one just abandons. It's just so lazy. So this time, if Jigsaw says, do you want to play a game? No. No, I don't. And that's Jigsaw. <laughs> Next up, another movie based on true events. A group of U.S. soldiers returning from Iraq struggle to integrate back into family and civilian life while living with the memory of a war that threatens to destroy them long after they've left the battlefield. It is thank you for your service. I rode shotgun in the lead Humvee. And I looked for bombs. We wanted it to be perfect. I'm home with my favorite girls. It's perfect, baby. I'm only human. Two Army Commendation Medals. An Army Achievement Medal. Impressive. You never told me you were a hero. Don't spare me the details. I can take anything but quiet. There is so much right and wrong about this movie. Jason Hall, who adapted 
the the uh, book for the screenplay American Sniper. Mm-hmm. He adapts this as well. It's another uh, nonfiction book, and he directs as well this time. It's his and re- directing debut, right? It is his directing debut. Yeah. There are moments when I wish that the writing was stronger, and then there are other moments when I wish that as a director, he was surer about what he was doing. Because... Yeah. It is a really compelling story. He's got some fine performances here. And one of the things I think he does well, it's really a story about PTSD, about three soldiers returning and not being able to sort of integrate back into civilian life. And each of the three has a different way of dealing with it, a different sort of type of problem that they're contending with. And they take us through the problems of the VA and they mm-hmm. take us through the the actual, real, just day-to-day life issues that these guys are going to face trying to get the help they need, which I appreciated. And I think that there's an underlying feeling just of helplessness and frustration yep. that this film it comes across better in this film than in many others. In many others, there's this nobility and, you know, honor. And and I think if you're going to look at something really honestly, the the lack of opportunity to get the help they need is as big, if not a larger problem, than what they're actually dealing with mentally and emotionally. And I really appreciated how well this film got that across. And I also love the performances, but it falls on cliché so often and also too often as opposed to sort of giving us a glimpse of the problems these guys are having they rely on miles teller's character in particular just explaining it and and again it takes you out of their story and makes it feel like again you're just telling instead of showing right which in a movie is not what you want to do yeah I, i agree with you miles teller is solid the writing can be when it's when it's focused in which which it has moments of doing. Yeah. Uh, it is it is effective. You can tell his inexperience as a director. Yes. Uh, you remember what Clint Eastwood, who has at times been a very good director, mm-hmm. and I think one of those times was with American Sniper, was able to take that story, uh, a, a similar story, and make it so much more effective from start to finish. This one definitely has moments yeah. of real effectiveness but it also has moments when it falters. These are very real and important issues, so I'm with you. I give him credit for taking them on and and bringing them up in a real, honest way. He really scores some good moments and some good authentic points, but uh, other times it does falter. But it's a case where maybe we look for him in the future to become a more accomplished director, since this is his first time out. But uh, that is thank you for your service. We do want to mention, though, uh, if nothing else, you'll leave on a high note because Springsteen contributes the closing credit song, and it's a great one because, of course, it is. Yeah, we're big Bruce Springsteen fans. We didn't know that as the the credits were starting. We're like, was that Bruce? (laughs) Yes, it is. It's a song called Freedom Cadence that he uh, wrote just for this movie after getting an early screening. And he was impressed, so he wrote it just for the movie. And also, you may be surprised, Amy Schumer yeah. uh, is pretty decent in a straight dramatic role as a uh, veteran widow, as a yep. war widow, yep. uh, that she comes along in this movie as well. So that's thank you for your service. Those are the big ones opening nationwide this week. few others to talk about that are in limited release. The first one, one you liked a lot, called Tragedy Girls. Actually, to tell you the truth, I think all three of the limited release films we're going to talk about, these are the high recommendations. These are the movies you need to probably seek out. And especially, <laughs> Best of the bunch this week. Right, exactly. Especially if you're looking for something fun for Halloween, Tragedy Girls is that. It is fun, is what it is. Um, we've seen a lot of movies, horror films in the last five, six, seven years that kind of deal with social media in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I would say, on the whole, they fail. They just don't quite 
do what they are trying to do. And this movie really, really does. They got a couple of high school girls who, you know, they're online, they're on Tumblr, they're on, on Twitter, they're on Instagram, and they really want to sort of increase their brand. And they do it by investigating this surprisingly high body count in their town. <laughs> it's so funny and fresh and clever and self-lampooning. And and they do have a, a bit of social commentary to make, usually with the voice of one of the high school teachers. But they do it in a way that just is clever. You don't feel beaten about the face and neck about it. And then the other thing that's great is not just the social commentary about the social media culture. The filmmaker obviously adores horror films. And so at the same time, there are just left and right these odes to horror films running the gamut from it's it's very much sort of Heathers meets Scream, which is about as high yeah. a watermark oh, yeah. as you're going to hit for a high school movie. Yeah, the director's guy named Tyler McIntyre. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree. That is a nice combination. And if you, you know what, if you sell the movie like that, I'd, I'd have been in. Absolutely. Right away. Yeah, so it's that, so fun. That's Tragedy Girls. Another one in limited release. This one, a documentary that's really getting a, a lot of, uh, of attention for where it is playing. Incredibly charming documentary called Dina. And it's from documentarians Antonio Santini and Dan Sickles. And it focuses on a couple. One who has the, the, the boy, the male half, has Osberger's Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And the other, the female half, has what I guess her mother calls just a host of mental disabilities. So the two of them as a couple are profiled in this movie, but what makes it so great is that it's it's not judgmental in any way. It's not exploitive. It's very tender and touching in how it just serves up this couple as authentic people dealing with real problems. Right. They are they are moving toward their wedding day. And so it's in most ways, you know, the same issues anybody faces moving toward their wedding day. And it is funny because it's being billed as a real-life romantic comedy, which is really what it is. It's so charming and lovely, and it does a, just a great job of, I think, dispelling a lot of myths. And just so, like, yeah, this is exactly what life is like. It's like this for everybody. And that is called Dina in limited release this week. And also the perfect swan song, I guess you'd say, for legendary actor Harry Dean Stanton, who passed away at the ripe old age of, what, 91, yes, I think it was? I think. A couple of months ago. He is starring in the new movie Lucky, and this one is one to see, not just for his performance, but the movie itself is a very touching look at someone, I guess, coming to grips with their own mortality. Mm-hmm. A, a 90-year-old veteran who, despite a life of not taking very good care of himself, he finally just kind of it catches up to him. And he's an atheist. He's a lifelong atheist. But he kind of examines things and whether or not spirituality is for him. And, boy, Harry Dean Stanton is brilliant. And it's from it's been directed by another one of those acting that guys, John <laughs> Carroll Lynch. Right. Who does a wonderful job. And, and it's gives, his directing debut. It's amazing. Yeah, what a great debut. Gives the film a, a really respectful sort of spiritual root, honestly. And Stanton is is mesmerizing. And there's also, you just have to look for it, a great small part <laughs> where Harry Dean Stanton and David Lynch get together and talk about a dog. And, uh, and and you know if you're familiar if you're familiar with Harry Dean Stanton's career you know that he works with he has worked with David Lynch in some of the great films over the years and so it's just it's just so joyous to see yeah. the two of them together on screen. So not only a fine film in its own right, but a perfect curtain call for a legendary actor passed away, and that is Lucky, one of the films in limited release that we really recommend highly this week. Moving to home video, DVD, Blu-ray, the whole bit. There's a lot coming out. Tons. And some things that we like right at the top: War for the Planet of the Apes. One one of 
I think still haven't really firmed up my list quite yet, but still one <laughs> of my favorite movies of the year. And it was, I think it's the best of this rebooted trilogy and the whole trilogy has been pretty darn yes, good. Yes, absolutely. I think it's been surprising to me how each one is better than the last. Yeah. And this one for me, I mean, it's war for the planet of the apes. And they're not kidding. This is a war movie and it features a standout performance from, from Woody Harrelson. Who's so great. Another, all the time. another standout motion capture performance from Andy Serkis. The visual effects just get more incredible mm-hmm. as these movies have gone along, which is a happy kind of coincidence because it mirrors the cognitive development of these apes. Sure. You know, and it just works in, in perfect sync, but it's a great story, and it leads up to what is a very logical bridge to the very first 1968 movie. I'm not saying there, <laughs> I'm not saying there couldn't be room for more of these, but I'm saying it, it ends with a nice bridge uh, to that original movie, and really recommend War for the Planet of the Apes. Especially if you have a big, big TV. Oh, yes, yeah, some great sequences. Uh, Annabelle Creation was one that... Uh, a little bit of a disappointment. A little bit of Better a disappointment. Better than Annabelle, I think, yeah. but but still uh, not, a, not a great, great movie. And the Emoji movie, it came and went very quickly with good reason. I think there was actually a decent idea in here mm-hmm. somewhere, because I don't really do much with emojis. I don't think you do either. I but hate emojis. Every- <laughs> Okay, then. The poop emoji, though. I hate them all. I hate emojis. <laughs> Don't send me emojis. There are occasions that really call for the poop emoji. I'm... Anyway, <laughs> um, I think there was maybe a, a, an idea in there somewhere, but it, boy, it's entirely forgettable, so it was forgotten about. An inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. This one was really strong. I think one of the best documentaries of the year, of course, a sequel to An Inconvenient Truth, the Oscar-winning uh, documentary of a few years back. And this time it... It's less of a filmed lecture sure. like the first one sure, was. Sure. This one more focuses on the day-to-day fight of not only the the cause, but of its number one champion, Al Gore. So we get to see what a, you know, it often looks like a very tired and, and lonely journey that it he's does. on trying to spearhead this movement. And d- does it frame him in a best possible light? Of course it does. But the... Argument is pretty darn persuasive, and I think after this time, the man has earned it. So, big recommendation for Truth to Power, an inconvenient sequel. One that you liked out on DVD this week and, and home video is Personal Shopper with Kristen Stewart. Who, um, you know, I, I'm like everyone else over the age of I like the Twilight movies. I did not care for Kristen Stewart for, for a very long time. I felt that she was very one note. I like her in this movie quite a bit. She first got me in The Clouds of Sils Maria. I thought, wow, she is acting and she's not bad. But now this continues that. Yeah, it does. Because I think she has a very naturalistic approach to things. So she's only gotten stronger as she's gone on. And this is a film about a young woman who is a personal shopper for a celebrity. But in her downtime, she is a medium and she kind of rids houses of their ghosts, but at the same time what she's really doing is looking for a connection with her dead twin. Mm -hmm. So it's a weird story. It's a very unusual story. There ends up being kind of a murder mystery involved in the middle of it. It does a lot to sort of generate tension. I'm not sure the end is going to fly with everybody, but it's a great performance, and it's a very weird but interesting film. That's Personal Shopper. Another one that came out, I think, VOD, the same time it hit theaters, Mm -hmm. and it's Daniel Radcliffe starring in Jungle. Daniel Radcliffe is another one that maybe people wondered early in his career whether he could actually act. Harry Potter, obviously. Mm -hmm. We all loved him as Harry Potter, but I don't know how strong... His acting chops were at the time. But I think it has gotten better slowly over the over the last few years. I think you're right. And anybody who is still curious, this movie should set that curiosity aside. He's mm-hmm. brilliant. He's magnificent and wonderful. And a movie that is, for about two-thirds of the film, a one-man show. He plays 
Yossi Ginsberg, who took a year off after the army and after school, an Israeli citizen to just travel the world and go on some adventures. And one of those adventures led him into the jungles of Bolivia. And eventually he was separated from his group and he was all alone for 17 days in the jungles of Bolivia. It is a, an amazing, amazing adventure. It's a, not always that strongly told a story. It's got some serious weak points, but the performances, all of the performances are very good. And in particular, Daniel Radcliffe. So Jungle out on home video and some limited release theaters right now. And one more out this week on home video, Bushwick, one Skip that it. we didn't care much for at all. Dave Bautista is part of a group of military resistance inside a New York town that has been invaded. And the film is interestingly timed, but and it is it is basically shot in real time. That's really the the idea that you're getting. But it's not well done. It's not well made. It's got it's got good intentions, but the execution is poor and the result is pretty weak. So we sum up Bushwick in two words, and that would be skip it. Looking next week, we're both looking forward to Thor. One of us, I think, maybe more than the other. <laughs> Should be a big one. Getting some really good early, early buzz, I think. The early word is pretty darn good on Thor Ragnarok. But until then, let us know what you thought about this week's movies. Maybe disagree with us on Suburbicon. I can understand that. Maybe disagree on Jigsaw. Let us know. We love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. And that is the best way at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, you can find us Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. And for all the written reviews of these movies and more, you can check out the main website, which is madwolf.com. Also, remember, if you're a horror movie fan, we get into that even more deeply twice a month on our Fright Club podcast. You can find that on all your favorite platforms for podcasts. We'd love to have you be a new Fright Clubber. Keep in touch uh, when you can. And until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and madwolf.com. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs>